Is this house a good price compared to others in the area? Are prices going up or down? If I don't make an offer right this very moment, will I miss my chance? These are just some of the questions a home buyer might ask. And these are the sorts of questions an agent who is a Realtor can help answer. Because Realtors have the expertise, data, and access to specialty training to help you navigate the process of buying a home. They provide support, guidance, and have your back every step of the way. That's what Realtors do, because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Grammar Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty, and you can think of me as your friendly guide to the English language. Today, I'll answer a listener question about the phrases these ones and those ones, and I'll have a meaty middle about some Irish phrases to get you ready for St. Patrick's Day. Here's the listener question. Yes, my name is James Paul Jarrett, Jr., and I have a question. It was several years ago. My son's now 33, but when he was in elementary school, I started hearing him the kids use the phrase, these ones and those ones. And that doesn't sound right to me. It should be that one or those, those over there, not those ones. But, but I've heard other people use the phrase, these ones and those ones. Is that now acceptable English or even used? Because I do hear, particularly, I think younger people use it. Uh, and I'm old enough to remember when they used to say, ain't, ain't in the dictionary, although, as your word said, it really is. But anyway, uh, that's my question. Thanks for the question. You aren't the first person to complain about these ones and those ones sounding wrong, and I'm sure you won't be the last. So you're not alone, but there's actually no real rule against using those phrases, except that sometimes they're redundant, and redundancy can bother people. To start, the word ones can be plural, as in, I like the red ones. So the plurality isn't a problem. And to many people, it even sounds okay to say these ones when you modify the word ones. For example, imagine you're with a friend in a flower shop, and there are lots of different kinds of roses. You could point to a bouquet you particularly like and say, I like these red ones. Since you're pointing, you could just say, I like these. But by saying, I like these red ones, you could be implying that of all the red roses, these are your favorites. Or you could just be emphasizing their redness. I like these red ones. Alternatively, if you're not standing particularly close to the roses and you point and simply say, I like these, your friend could misunderstand and think you mean all the roses in that section. In other words, saying these red ones instead of just these adds information for your friend. These ones and those ones seem to bother people more when there isn't a modifier like red in these red ones. When someone says, I like these ones, you could imagine ones standing in for roses. If someone says, I like these roses, nobody ever objects, unless maybe they want to get carnations instead. But if someone says, I like these ones, it can seem redundant and annoying, probably because the word ones isn't adding information the way the word roses does. 
Most of the time, it feels like you get the same information with essentially the same emphasis from I like these and I like these ones. So these ones seems redundant. Still, on occasion, for example, when faced with a sea of red roses, these ones could suggest a more limited selection than just these alone. One interesting point is that in an old language log post, the linguist Arnold Zwicky reported finding that it's mostly Americans who get bothered by these ones and those ones, and that British people seem to find it unremarkable. From a quick Google Ngram search, it does look like these ones and those ones are a bit more common in British English, and the use of these ones and those ones has been growing in both British and American English, so you can expect to continue hearing it more often. Another interesting point is that although I've heard a slow but steady stream of complaints about these ones and those ones over the years— I don't remember ever hearing anyone complain about the similar phrases, this one and that one. You'd think that if people are bothered by a question like, what do you think of these ones? They'd be bothered by a question like, what do you think of this one? But they don't seem to be. And I've seen other language commenters say the same thing. I have no idea why, except that maybe people are getting hung up on the word one being plural these ones versus this one. But as I said at the beginning, there's no rule against one being plural. We say things like, which ones would you like? And these are the ones I want all the time. To sum up, if you want to play it completely safe and avoid all risk of annoying anyone, you may want to avoid using these ones and those ones, particularly if you're writing for a U.S. audience. But I can't tell you that these ones and those ones are grammatically incorrect. Thanks again for the question. Next, St. Patrick's Day is coming up March 17th. And with that in mind, today we're going to talk about three phrases you'll likely hear on that holiday. Before we dive in, here's a refresher on St. Patrick. His life was pretty eventful. He was born in Great Britain in the 5th century and then kidnapped as a child and enslaved by Irish raiders. He escaped back to his home country after six years. Later, as an adult, he dreamed that a group of Irishmen were calling him back to their land. Believing he'd received a message from God, he returned to Ireland as a one-man missionary, spreading word of the Christian faith across the pagan island and baptizing people left and right. Legends surrounded his stay there. He's best known for having driven all the snakes out of Ireland, which is probably a metaphor for driving out the Druids. He's also said to have raised 33 people from the dead, some of whom had been buried for years. He's even said to have placed a curse on an Irish clan who didn't take kindly to his promotion of a new deity. Their spirit animal was the wolf, and they howled at Patrick when he came close. Patrick retaliated. The legends say he put a curse on them that turned one couple every seven years into wolves. Wolves that spoke like humans and craved human flesh. You could say he turned them into werewolves. On a more peaceful note, St. Patrick is also supposed to have illustrated the Holy Trinity of Christianity by using a shamrock, showing its three leaves growing from a single stem. Partly due to this legend, shamrocks have become the national flower of Ireland and are symbolic of all things Irish, especially St. Patrick's Day. 
Okay, now that you know who St. Patrick is, let's get back to words you might hear on this holiday. We'll start with Begora. Begora is a euphemism for the phrase, by God. You sometimes hear it in the phrase, faith in Begora. It's the Irish equivalent of an American saying, by golly, or by gosh. Its first recorded use was in 1839. An English newspaper published in 1885 made fun of the word, suggesting that the Prince of Wales, when visiting Ireland, should familiarize himself with the Irish slang such as ara, begora, bejabbers, and salpine. Ara, by the way, is an expression of disbelief. By jabbers means by Jesus, and a spalpine is a young boy. Aaron Gobrock is the anglicized version of the Gaelic era Gobrock, spelled with a ch at the end rather than a gh. It means Ireland forever, with the literal translation being Ireland till doomsday, or Ireland until the end of time. We don't know when this phrase was first used, but it was a rallying cry during the Irish Revolution of 1798 against British rule, adorning the flags of the Irish forces. After just three months of fighting, the British were victorious, tens of thousands of Irishmen were dead, and the Irish Parliament abolished. Ireland remained, but it was ruled directly from London until 1922. On a more cheerful note, let's all say this word together, slancha. Slancha is a toast meaning health. You can respond with slancha agadza, meaning to your health as well, or back at you. Slancha comes from the old Gaelic word slan, meaning healthy or whole. It's related to the Latin word for health, salvus, and the German word for blessed, selig. Toasting before drinking, by the way, is a centuries-old custom. In ancient Greece, it was customary to raise your glass to the sky, deliberately spill some of your drink, pray with arms and cup raised, and then, and only then, take your first sip. The gods watching from Mount Olympus considered the spilled wine an offering. In 17th century Ireland, toasting took the form of a one-on-one drinking challenge. The ritual dictated that the toaster, quote, sups up his breath, turns the bottom of his cup upward, and gives the cup a fillip to make it twang, unquote. In other words, he has to drain the cup. The toasty then had to do the same over and over every time he was toasted. This kind of slancha probably isn't good for your health. One phrase you might want to avoid, especially if you're talking to an Irish person, is top of the morning to you. This phrase was probably in use at one time in Ireland. The Oxford English Dictionary describes it as an Irish morning greeting and includes two citations from the mid-1800s and a handbook to Irish English published in 1910 notes that top of the morning to you is used everywhere in Ireland, north and south. However, the phrase is archaic now. Nobody uses it anymore. Assuming that Irish people greet each other this way is like thinking that Americans start the day with a hearty howdy partner, or that British folk greet each other with a pip-pip cheerio. The phrases are stereotypes, more frequently heard in comedy skits and bad movies than in real life. And that concludes our episode for today. Benacte na felig pedreg ort. In other words, may the blessing of St. Patrick's Day be on you. And may you forgive me for that pronunciation. 
That segment was written by Samantha Enslin, who runs Dragonfly Editorial. You can find her online at dragonflyeditorial.com or on Twitter as Dragonfly Edit. Next, I have a kitchen table lingo story. Here's Jeannie. Hi, Mia. This is Jeannie from Chicago. You asked on one of your recent podcasts for family words or phrases and their origins. In my family, we use the word monkey to identify something that we already know about. Um, my daughters and myself are big news fans, and we subscribe to a number of different podcasts and news feeds. And if we find interesting stories, we usually text the link to each other. And if someone has already seen it, we'll reply either with a monkey mojo or the word monkeys. The origin of this is years and years ago, we watched the Curious George cartoon when my girls were very young. And in that particular episode, everything that George was doing was being broadcasted over the radio um, just as he began to do it. And sometimes even before he began to do that activity. So this is just our way of saying we already know about that. Thanks. Bye. Thanks, Jeannie. If you'd like to share your familect story, the story about a word that your family and only your family uses, you can leave a voicemail at 833214-GIRL. That's 833214-GIRL. And you might hear it on the show. Be sure to tell me the reason your family uses the word, because that's always the best part. I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl. This show is part of the Quick and Dirty Tips podcast network, and you can find articles that go with each major segment of the show at quickanddirtytips.com. That's all. Thanks for listening. It's one thing falling in love with a house, picturing yourself moving in and calling it home, and quite another navigating the world of price negotiating mortgage lenders, and finding the budget that works best for you. An agent who's a Realtor can make understanding that world easier. Realtors have the expertise, access to proprietary data, and tools to help you get from imagining living somewhere to actually doing it. That's the kind of help we can provide. Because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu accreditation.